Good morning, everyone. What a wonderful day to come and remember the Lord. Sing praises to him. Sometimes you don't even, I don't even want it to end, especially now. <clears throat> Let's just begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to be here to uh, remember your son, remember the uh, work on the cross, and Lord, just by your Holy Spirit that your will would be done. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, it says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. As you know, a few of us uh, go out on the street at one time, you know, it can be, well, what was it, one uh, before Christmas, about 30 of us wrote, so it was wonderful. And um, then when the word went out, people came to their senses. There was a, a woman, um, Patricia, if that's right, Phoebe, her name is Patricia, I think, right? No, Esther Esther was speaking to a girl named Patricia, and she, she was saved uh, last year. I remember that. If you took an 18th century doctor that thought washing hands in a basin of water was fine, but then showed him through a microscope the presence of germs, and that water as opposed to washing hands before surgery in running water, he would obviously see the difference and change his mind about that practice. God shows us through the microscope of the moral law, the cesspool of iniquity that we have dipped our hands in, and we repent and go running to the fount of living water, the Savior Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to see that. When you're talking to people, whether it is on the street or one-on-one, -on -one, handing out some gospel tracts, wherever you uh, find yourself and wanting to be obedient to the Lord and fulfilling the Great Commission, it is a joyful thing when someone comes to their senses, when God grants that person repentance and acknowledgement of their sin and, and their uh, situation before the Lord, humbling, and they surrender. It's a beautiful thing to see that. So in the Word of God, there are many examples of people who when they were faced with the truth and responded positively to that truth, it resulted in the restoration of a relationship, a reconciliation. I would like to share some of those examples through the word of God. Many of you know the story of the prodigal son. Then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he had spent all, he then arose a, there then arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to, them, to him, Father, I have sinned against you and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What a picture that is. Of forgiveness, a picture of the, the heart of God. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's just, just a, an amazing picture of how God will forgive us when we consider our ways and our, our debt to him and what he did to, to deal with our sin in sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. So the amazing thing is that God uses so many circumstances to bring a person to a point where they are humbled and display a broken and a contrite heart. And we know God's word also says, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So God uses those circumstances to bring that person to the point where they're humbled. They display that broken and contrite heart. You see, God is in no way, he's, he's not obligated to show mercy to us, let alone the prodigal son, his father. There, there was no obligation there whatsoever. That's the beauty of grace. God's loving kindness free to us. It's almost like when people come to their senses, what have I done? Oh, what have I done, God? And we go to God the Father, that's repentance towards God, acknowledge our sin, and submit to him. That's what the prodigal son was doing, right? He wanted to just consider me your servant, totally submissive. That, that's someone that uh, God looks at and says that this is a man after my own heart. Just like David when he was confronted with the truth that his sin had found him out, he stands accused in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David, confronted with the truth of his sins, responds much like the tax collector in Luke 18, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have seen people on the street and I'm sure many of you throughout your walk in your life, we, when you were confronted with our situation before God, a man was weeping. His name was Gummy. I remember the name because it was so unusual. But I was just preaching the word of God, just, just speaking his word. And this fellow came up beside me and was just weeping. And it was so wonderful to see someone who had come to their senses, you know, and desiring peace with God. And so it was an amazing thing to see. In Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, had leprosy and was told that a prophet, Elijah, could help him. 
So then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. Unless he cleanses you, regenerates you, gives you a new heart with new desires, causes you to be born again, we remain in our sin. And for this person to grow indignant over the fact that he can have his sins forgiven by such a a simple way, it takes the emphasis and the, the, the focus off of the, the person or anyone in somehow helping or assisting in their healing. Even Elisha would not take credit for that, of course. And no one gets the credit but God for someone coming to repentance. No one gets the credit. He deserves all the credit. Jonah and Nineveh. God tells Jonah to go, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah wants nothing to do with Nineveh and jumps a ship for Tarshish. And causes, uh, God causes a storm, and Jonah tells them it was because of him that their lives are in danger, and to throw Jonah overboard, which they do, and the storm is calmed. Just like Jesus calmed the storm of God's fury over the sin of man by dying on the cross. God prepares a great fish and it swallows Jonah and he cries out a great prayer to God and God relents and Jonah is spewed up onto dry land. It sounded almost like a spewing right there. Glad people saved me. Come on, a, a great fish, three days, three nights? Come on. But there was context, there's context that, these, that people that we, we spo- I've spoken to on the street, they're missing. If I said to you, I know a man that regularly jumps out of a plane, lands on the tarmac, and he's never hurt, not even once. Some people could say, how could that be? Well, there's some context missing. He's just a mechanic, and he just basically, the plane is on the ground. It's a couple <laughs> steps, and he's nothing to it. So in the context of who God is and, and his ability to do all things, he holds the entire world together by the counsel of his will. Nothing happens without his say-so. And that can be such a great comfort to us. I remember... Ken, at one point, um, our brother Ken, saying to uh, someone who was weeping uh, in terrible straits and uh, because of a situation, and Ken said, he knows, he knows, meaning God, of course, and that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thing. He knows each and every one of us. He knows where you are in your walk with the Lord. He knows who... <laughs> Who made the skies? Okay. Where was I? Okay, so, um, 
So he threw him into the, uh, into the sea. I'm sorry, I lost my spot here. And it just, oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. So it spews him up on the land. God tells Jonah again to preach what he told him after that wonderful prayer when he was in the belly of the whale, the fish, sorry. Cries out to God that great prayer, and God relents, and Jonah is spewed upon to the dry land. God tells Jonah again to preach what he told him, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Everybody came to their senses, and it showed by neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, they didn't taste anything, they didn't eat or drink um, water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that in his hands, who can tell? God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. No coming to his senses there. No, no uh, <laughs> contrition. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city there. He made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. He was probably hoping God would just nuke the site, but instead, God prepared a plant and it, became, and it came up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun rose that God prepared a vehement East wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, it's a hard heart. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you had not labored, nor made it grow, which come up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. What a poignant lesson for all of us. God is so willing to bring people to the knowledge of the truth. This is one of my favorite stories, maybe one of yours in the Bible. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. The contrast is staggering, almost like Jonah, right? God spares 120,000 people. God spares people all the time, and there's no rejoicing in that. And that's, that's, that shows just how, how deceitful the heart is. 
Then Zagia's student said to the Lord, 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 I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have a wonderful quote here from Jonathan Edwards. And he said, Holy practice is the most decisive evidence of the reality of our repentance. I'll say it again. Holy practice is the most decisive evidence of the reality of our repentance. When we're told to repent and then do works worthy of repentance, it's, it's fairly obvious that that change in the mind has taken place. There's the thief on the cross, one of the criminals who were hanged, blaspheming him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. The other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we, we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. How many stories will be told in heaven of those who came to their senses once awakened by the, the kindness of God? And a lot of people think, you know, they look at the thief on the cross, there's two of them, one repented, one didn't, one kept his hard heart to the end. But that one, that one that responded to the Savior, and that's, that's what we all have to do. At one time or another, you're going to have to do business with God. You're going to stand before him. He's our creator. We're morally accountable to him. So if you're in a war and an opposing army is overwhelming you, but the king in his mercy commands you to surrender and all will be forgiven, you can, in fact, be a part of his kingdom when he will treat you as his very own family. Well, that means you've got to make a decision, as I just said. You've got to come to your senses, lay down your arms, your weapons of disobedience, and receive him as your rightful king. There's many common themes in the Bible. The rebellion against God, followed by, Lord willing, a considering of our ways. People so different in their attitudes and abilities, just as we are, so unique and different. The Lord knows us all. And he knows exactly what it's going to take to bring us to that place of humility. His love in exchange for our hate, his mercy in exchange for our cruelty, his grace in exchange for our ingratitude, our wretchedness, his righteousness, our sin, his blood. Unime had a wonderful little acronym, KFT. I don't know if any, a lot of you have obviously heard that, and we're here when he, he spoke on that. I was thinking about an acronym that, that, that would uh, help um, people to think about the gospel. So gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, God offers sinful people everlasting life. And that's wonderful. You have to see yourself as a sinner, though. You have to see yourself as totally unable to save yourself. It's like a man who's drowning in the ocean. He, everything's fine until he realizes that he's five miles from shore, he's being pulled out, and then he starts screaming, help! And God is willing so much to, to help us out of our situation. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow, Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. If you've been born again, if God has forgiven your sins and granted you everlasting life, God is pleading through each and every one of us to the lost on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what's it's going to take. God has given you today, and he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here we are this day. Many in this room have been reconciled to God the Father. He has granted the gift of everlasting life. A relationship has been restored. Instead of being sons and daughters of disobedience, we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you, like the prodigal, like David, like Zacchaeus, like the thief on the cross, like many others in this room, if you come to your senses and embrace the Savior, God will deliver you from the power of darkness and he will convey you into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for your Son. Thank you that forgiveness is available. Restoration is available. All because of what your Son did on that cross over 2,000 years ago. He's still changing hearts and lives, and he can do that for you. God bless you all.